Good morning. Nobody likes to uh, lose control, you know, men particularly, I have noticed. Um, so this will be a test for me this morning. Usually I uh, have the PowerPoint up here, but I will trust my friends there at the back to keep it going. Anyway, it's lovely to be here this morning and uh, thank you for the invitation. And uh, had a great time last night outside and visitors. And if you were there last night and are a visitor, uh, thank you for coming. This morning, it's great <clears throat> to have you here, and uh, it's obviously nice for me to be back to uh, read of you in Ottawa to a place I know quite well and to see friends that um, uh, have been old friends, long-time friends. Is that a better word? Old friends? Nobody likes the word old, but uh, anyways, I, I think I need to move here, though, because there must be something in the water, because... When I look at the mirror, I say to myself, who is that old guy uh, in the mirror? And then I come here and see people who are similar age to me and that I've known for decades and they look, uh, they look the same. So congratulations to you if you are one of those people looking exactly the same. Um, <clears throat> I had a friend come and visit me last weekend and uh, he is full of <clears throat> wise things and uh, silly things too, silly stories and whatnot. Anyways, here's a story that he told, and I thought I would start with it because I thought, you know, I think I could use that maybe to make a little application. He said, you know, there was this guy and uh, <clears throat> his friend said to him, he said, if you had a million dollars, would you give me half of it? He said, you know, I would. He said, I'd give you $500,000 in a heartbeat, sign that check and uh, you could have it. You've been my best friend for years and um, you know I would do that. What if you had 100,000? Would you give me 50,000? I'd do that too. You know, I'd rather give you the 500, but if I had 100, I would definitely give you 50,000 as well. The friendship we've had through the years would be so worth it for me. And uh, then the fellow said to him, listen, if you had two chickens, would you give me one chicken? His friend said to him, now you know that's not fair. You know I have two chickens. <laughs> You know, <clears throat> sometimes we come on a Sunday morning and our hearts are open, aren't they? We want God to speak to us. I uh, always come up to the front in fear and trembling and nervousness um, because I would like God to say something through me to you. But a lot of times we're content to leave the things that we hear from God's Holy Spirit to leave them in theory, aren't we? And we sort of think, well, that's a great thing in theory, but I'll just get up and go my way now. But God is talking to you as if you have two chickens this morning. And he wants you to respond um, with what he has to say this morning. So we'll trust him to have something hopefully that will be helpful for us. Let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word. Father, we're grateful for this time to come together this morning. Bless each one who has come. We're grateful for your spirit who um, knows the need of every heart. We pray that he would just speak something that would be an encouragement to everyone this morning. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, uh, let's see how we do here. Oh, there we go. I thought I would just start just briefly talking about, I think some of you are familiar with this. It's um, a little ministry that, that happens in our area down in the Kitchener-Waterloo, Guelph area. Uh, it's called Upward Bound. It's been happening for 26 years now, if you can believe it. There's been about 30 marriages that have come out of it and all kinds of different things. And um, I'm not here to talk about 
um, essentially what happened this summer, just to say that it was very encouraging. And I know it's a long way off, but I would just encourage you maybe to drop it into your mind. If you know someone who is um, 18 plus, uh, I would say the average age is kind of mid 20s, maybe uh, around that range, but we certainly have younger people and those who are a little bit older as well. Uh, I think they would just really find it an encouraging experience. Uh, we try and aim the ministry to uh, kind of things that would be that would resonate with that demographic and, and encourage them. One of the things that has been fundamental with it from the very start, and it's something that really is uh, a constant burden on my heart for all of us, but particularly for those who are younger, is helping them get a start in learning how to study the Bible for themselves. And uh, to really just get some tools and ideas and approaches that they can use. So that's a part of it and it's a very hands-on thing. And then we try and get speakers, as I say, who sort of speak into things that I hope that they would find uh, interesting and helpful. We've had a wonderful brother come a number of years. He wasn't able to come this year, but he's a clinical, um, uh, therapist, psychiatrist, and he comes at things from a wonderful Christian perspective and has spoken into some of the um, mental health issues that <clears throat> oftentimes young folks and older folks are struggling with. So it's, it's just so very, very helpful. The, 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 the brother that came this year and spoke with us, which was, and he was so encouraging, was a fellow from uh, Ireland. And of course, you know, when someone's coming from Ireland, you're going to be excited anyway, because they're full of enthusiasm. And he is uh, responsible for a ministry over there that gets Christian and biblical courses of study into schools in 65 different countries. And they literally are handing out millions of these per month. It's, it's staggering to listen to the work that he is involved in. And he gave us some absolutely wonderful ministry. And one thing I would just say as we pass by here is that he made a recommendation to us um, of a podcast. I like listening to podcasts. They're very helpful. <clears throat> Sometimes, uh, you know, you listen for a while and you think, well, I don't know, maybe I'll just stop for a little bit. But this is a, pro, uh, a podcast that comes out of Ireland. Uh, it comes out of um, a church in, in Belfast called Crescent Church. And there are two people who kind of interact on this. One is a younger fellow and the other is an older gentleman named Jim Crooks. And they go through a number of topics that again, are totally the type of things that young people are thinking about these days, although this old guy has been listening to them and really enjoying it as well. So I just thought I would pass it on to you because I truly have found it to be so helpful. And it talks about things like um, questions of identity, questions of love, uh, sex, um, things that are associated with mental health and those type of things. And it's just excellent. The, the perspective they come from, lots of biblical um, foundation for things and I thought I would just pass it on to you. We had a wonderful time this year. I don't know whether you can see everybody there. I think people who knew me from Camp Galilee would say that I'm really slipping, um, that we actually would take a water taxi when we go on our camping trip. I'm sorry for all of you that I've let you down, but you may recognize a few people in there. I'm not sure, but we had a great time. And again, for those of you who are a little younger and might enjoy coming to this, uh, the first, the first part of the ministry is, is, as I say, seminars and teaching and things like that, and then we go camping.
for a few days. This is the whole group when we got uh, back home, sitting on the desk, looking a little or deck, looking a little bit more uh, respectable. And there's another shot of some of them. And you see my friend Jerry there on the left, down there at the bottom. Jerry is has been in Canada for two years, or sorry, for two months. And uh, he came with us. He's from Nigeria. And he's at University of Waterloo taking computer science. And uh, he came in one day to Bethel Chapel, the, the local church that I go to in Waterloo. And he walked in and uh, we eventually got to be friends. And so he came along on the trip. And I'm not joking that the weather on the trip was quite nice this year, but he was dressed in an Arcteryx um, full-on winter jacket. And um, pray for Jerry this winter because uh, <clears throat> I think we may just slice him into pieces and sell him as ice cubes maybe, I don't know. Um, anyway, can I tell you just a little story about Jerry? He arrived here from Nigeria. He was obviously very disoriented and, and um, just wondering how he was going to fit in. And he looked across just about a half a block away and he saw Bethel Chapel. And um, <clears throat> his parents from Nigeria were encouraging him to find a place to fellowship. And in the back of his mind, he felt that God was directing him to Bethel Chapel. He had this word Bethel that was ringing in his mind. Uh, he'd had some wonderful experiences with a little group that called itself Bethel back in Lagos. And so when he came here, that was in his mind. But he said, you know, God told me to go there. <clears throat> But he said, I wanted to go somewhere else. There was another place that, that had a wonderful website and he walked by their building and it looked very impressive. And he thought, that's the place I wanna go. But he said, God kept impressing upon him that he should go to Bethel Chapel. So uh, one morning he screwed up his courage and he walked into Bethel Chapel. And uh, he said, I looked around and he said, everybody was, was old, which I didn't appreciate, but... Uh, <laughs> Anyways, he's, he, he said he looked and he thought to himself, Lord, is this truly where you would want me to be? He just felt a little bit like a fish out of water. Nevertheless, he sat in and uh, listened to the sermon, which he thought was good. He was a little amazed at how quickly the, the, uh, the gathering was over and that there was no dancing, but um, uh, he, he, he sat and he thought to himself, why am I here? And then something happened. This is, we all got this out of his testimony out in Algonquin Park. He said, someone walked over to me, and started to talk to me. And he said, then his wife came over and started to talk to me. And then two other key people came over to talk to me. And I thought to myself, now imagine this. This is him now telling his story out in Algonquin Park. It was intriguing to me. He said, I said to myself, maybe this is the place where God wants me to be. Imagine how low the threshold is there. Just that someone would come and reach out and show a little friendliness to someone. And he said, you know, I suffer from social anxiety and it's very stressful for me to interact. And he said, I was wondering how I would talk to people. And so when these people came and talked to me, it made it so easy. And then he said, wonder of wonders. <clears throat> One of the people said to me, would you like to come out for lunch with us? And he said, I was so shocked 
I was having trouble getting the words out of my mouth. And I thought to myself, Jerry, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to face having to talk to these people at lunch? And then I thought, yes, yes, I do. And so he said, I took a chance and believed God. And they took me to a place called Swiss Chalet. <laughs> and listen to what he said, because you'll never hear it again associated with Swiss Chalet. He said, and it was glorious. <laughs> I thought I was going to roll off the log laughing when he said that story. <clears throat> but I just say that to you. And by the way, I walked in here this morning, sat down, and the first thing I felt was a tap on my shoulder. And um, someone behind me said, are you new here? I'd like to just say hello and introduce myself. So I thought, well, that's wonderful. But you know, folks come in to a local church, and a lot of times, all they're looking for is just a little bit of friendliness to get them over that first little hurdle. And it's so easy for us to drift off to those that we're so comfortable with. But um, may God just kind of give us a heart to look out for people. And, and Jerry has become a real great part of uh, the fellowship there. Now, you know, when you're involved in a ministry like this, if you've been up at camp in the summer <clears throat> or various things, you just talk about it all the time, don't you? And we had such a nice time uh, at Upward Bound and whatnot. And so eventually my wife got tired of listening to me talk and, and people who came around got tired of me listening to talk. And so um, the only person I left to talk to was my dog. And this uh, was kind of the reaction that I got from him. So anyways, I'm sorry, boy, we've lost a bit of time here. What are we gonna talk about this morning? I guess it's not a secret anymore. Um, I kind of, wondered, I have one session really to, to speak with you this morning. And uh, so we are, we are going to, uh, you remember when the Lord Jesus was walking to heal a little girl and a woman who had an issue of blood came up behind him and she just touched the hem of his garment. And so we're just going to touch the hem of the garment, if you will, of a little subject that I have been thinking about now for the last few months. And it has really been a tremendous um, blessing to me. So we're not by any means going to finish this morning, finish the entire topic, of course. But I do want to think about this idea this morning of getting to know God better. And, you know, you may say to yourself, oh, are we stuck? There we are. When we talk about getting to know God better, what are we going to talk about for the few minutes who are left, that are left to us here this morning? Is it just going to be an accumulation of facts? Is that what getting to know God better is? And you know, a, a lot of people, that's how they approach the Bible. It's just kind of accumulating knowledge into their minds. Is there going to be a practical component that will come out of it? Because I know that when I go on a Sunday morning and I listen to someone speak or, or whenever it happens to be, I'm always kind of listening for God's spirit to speak to me and say, you know, is there something that, that God is asking me to do? Maybe there's that other chicken that he wants me to pass on that's real and vibrant and, and necessary in my life. Could it be that getting to know God will change your life? I actually think it will. I actually think it will. In fact, I would say it is a subject that maybe has the greatest potential to change the life of a Christian, certainly the life of someone who doesn't know God, 
but also those of us who are believers. As we get to know God more, it will have a profound impact on us. Anyways, let's let's press ahead here and see where we get to. We, um, we're living in challenging times, aren't we? And I, I don't mean to just kind of go over a bunch of discouraging things this morning. Uh, and I may have to look here because one of the things of getting old is your eyesight. But, um, you know, we're coming through COVID aftermath, aren't we? And that's been hard on churches. I get around to a few different places and hear how difficult it has been to go through this. It's been hard on families as well. Um, I've had heard a number of stories of families that have had conflict based on these things. And um, that's very difficult. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a time. Uh, I don't feel like I'm very old, but I know I am getting old. And as I look back over my life, I don't know if there's ever been a time that I have sort of seen as much societal tension and division as there is today. And we kind of look over the border and, and maybe we feel a little bit better about ourselves. I'm not meaning to sound trite, but you know that little phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, for some reason or another, there has been kind of a sense over time that whatever you share at that testimony night will never get repeated anywhere else. And I'm grateful to know that it really hasn't. But it is, there have been times, uh, you know, you look at these young folks that are there and, and they seem th so full of potential and enthusiasm and, and then they start sharing what's been going on in their lives. And there have been times I've just felt the tears going down my cheeks and my, my chin is literally on my chest. To hear the type of things that young folks are coping with today. Um, you know, there's, I think another thing that obviously we're seeing the fruit of today is, is no one knows what truth is anymore. You know, there's just so many things out there and people are left to sift through it. Anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you know, people are experiencing financial challenges today. There are sharp generational divides today, aren't there? And I think that this has become so difficult, particularly for Christian parents to deal with. They see these young folks that they've raised up and they've had all kinds of hopes for them. And then all of a sudden they see that the choices that are being made are, are you know, are a little outside of what mom and dad might have hoped for. I mean, maybe you sort of accept that, but some of these things are just sharply divided from what they have been brought up with. And uh, now we're on the caught up here on the screen. And so I think, and maybe you see yourself in some of these this morning. It's easy to be feeling a bit weary and tired, um, discouraged, disheartened. Uh, I'm sure there are people here who are going through trials or burdens and you know, I think the hardest trials, the most difficult burdens are ones where you really don't or can't see when the end is going to occur. And it just kind of keeps stretching on. Within a week, I um, am anticipating spending some time with a friend of mine uh, and hoping to encourage him and his wife and his family a little bit because it will be the one year anniversary of the uh, drowning death of their 25 year old son. These are problems that and terrible burdens that will only be solved when we get to glory. But these things come into our life, don't they? And I, I put number three on here because um, it applies to me. Um, I sense my own lukewarm affection as well for the Lord. And I, I just want to define my passion again 
for the Lord. And, um, you know, you may be sorrowful or burdened about loved ones or concerned about Read of you Chapel here or concerned about your family and where they are in life. Um, some of you are going through transitions in life. Transitions are, they can be wonderful things. They truly can. But if something new and good is going to happen, it means that something else that is familiar has to finish. And that can be really difficult, tremendously hard to navigate through transitions in life. And I see some of you here who are a little older and I maybe have not quite got to that point, but I, I also enjoy spending time with older people. And I know it is terribly difficult to feel your physical strength and energy diminishing and those things that used to define you in your Christian service over the course of your life. And suddenly you're realizing that you maybe just don't have the resources to do it anymore. I remember sitting and talking with my mother when she got older. And she used to have wonderful ministries of hospitality among other, all kinds of other things. And she was sitting in the kitchen weeping one day and I said, mom, what is wrong? She said, I'm absolutely useless. I have nothing more to contribute. Transitions are hard. And you know, the bottom line is we often feel just powerless, don't we? What can we do about it? Well, these experiences and the times that we live in are not uh, unique. They, are, um, they have been experienced by other people in other generations as well. And I just want to mention a little, I'm gonna give you a little history lesson, very, very brief. It comes actually from the 11th chapter of the book of Daniel. You don't need to turn to it, by the way. Um, in the 11th chapter of Daniel, there's some prophecy that is given about a king who is going to come from the north and he is going to cause great grief to the nation of Israel. Now, Daniel prophesies this and it comes to pass um, during the reign of a gentleman, or I shouldn't call him a gentleman, but during the, the reign of a person named Antiochus IV. He ruled over uh, a quarter of Alexander's empire after Alexander died, it got divided into four pieces. And one of Alexander's generals took over one quarter of it, and this would have been one of his descendants. And his name, you may have even heard of it, it was Antiochus IV. He's sometimes referred to as Antiochus Epiphanes. And he came down and marched into the land of Israel. And such was the destruction that he wrought in the land of Israel that when you look at the 11th chapter of Daniel, you find that he is given to us almost as a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, of that one who is eventually going to come and that we anticipate at some point. And um, he destroyed the city of Jerusalem, he plundered the temple, um, he, he, he blasphemed and des desecrated the temple precincts, and he took um, a pig and offered it on the brazen altar. He killed 80,000 people, he enslaved another 40,000, he stopped the daily sacrifices for three and a half years. But here's the interesting thing that happened. Amazingly, in the midst of all that, he managed to divide the people of God. And obviously it was those who were trying to, to, to stick to the scripture and trying to script, stick to the, 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 uh, the teachings that God had given in the Old Testament. But there were those in the land of Israel who sort of had a more progressive view of things. And they said, you know, it would be best if we kind of left all these religious restrictions behind. And if we just sort of got in with the times here and took on the culture of the world that is around us. And I, I would say that that probably is very true about the church today as well. Um, you know, 
more and more day by day, it's becoming more of a challenge to stand for the things that the Bible has to say, isn't it? And in many instances, it's like, well, let's just get along and let's just press on with things. And that doesn't mean that we don't attempt to be people who are peaceful people and helpful people and productive people. But, you know, when it comes to the word of God and what the clear teaching of God's word is, we have to take a stand, don't we? And I would have never thought that there might come a time in my life in this country where that actually literally might cost me something. But I wonder if before the Lord takes me home or before um, perhaps my death would come, that that might be something that God would ask of me. And as I look at younger people here, if the Lord does not come back, I think you may find that you will be called to make a stand someday as well. So how will we respond to that? Well, what did God have to say into the midst of all that? Because as God was prophesying about this person who was coming, um, as God and, and God spoke into it, he said, I want to give you something that will encourage you and challenge you. Did he talk about a person that he was going to send to deliver them? No, he did not. But you know, oftentimes we look for that, don't we? When we find ourselves in challenging times. Did he talk about a miraculous intervention that he was going to do himself? He didn't talk about that either. Although sometimes we look for that as well, too, don't we? And by the way, that doesn't mean that God doesn't use these things that God doesn't use people, that he doesn't come in and exercise his power in wonderful ways. But he never did any of those things. He never talked about a plan that he had. He never talked about a program that these people were going to be able to put into place to cope with this. This is what he said to them, and um, it's in Daniel eleven thirty-two and 33, but you can just listen to it this morning. If you want to go ahead a few slides, brother, you can stick it up on the screen and we'll kind of work off of it. This is what he said. In the midst of all of this difficult things that these difficult things that he was talking about, he said, the people who do know their God shall be strong. They shall do great exploits, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. The people who do know their God shall be strong. They will do great exploits, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. And so this is what God had to say to them. He said, out of all of you, he says, those of you who know your God, you will be the ones who make the difference. Developing a relationship with God. And you know, when you think about that, Probably relationships are maybe the most powerful thing that we encounter in our life, aren't they? I remember reading an article in the Star, Toronto Star, years ago, and they talked about um, uh, a professor who had done this, this, this enormous research project into what it was that made people happy. And when he finished up, they, they actually had stuck it into the second page of the Star, and um, he talked about going to 18 countries, interviewing 40 odd thousand people and all this type of thing that he did. And he said at the end of it all, he said it was far easier to define what did not make people happy than what did make people happy. He talked about things like wealth and he talked about things like fame and he talked about things like education, which I wished I'd known that before my mom sent me off to school. But 
Um, he talked about all these things and about how, you know, how in many instances, the more you had of those things, actually the unhappier people happened to be. But he said there was one thing that was pretty much universal across everybody's life that actually had the potential to bring joy and happiness into their life. And that was actually relationships with other people. And I'm sure as I say that this morning, there's probably an image of someone that comes to your mind right now, doesn't it? Someone who has blessed you and helped. Now, now they have tremendous potential for pain too, don't they? Because when something has a lot of potential for good, there's always a lot of potential for negativity as well. But as I arrived here last night and just saw some old friends and was able to give them a hug, I was thinking of this morning's message and I thought, you know what, thank you, Lord, for wonderful relationships, for old friends, for people that you have given us that we can love. Thank you for the family of God. And I think that human relationships are given to us as a microcosm of the one great, unique and wonderful relationship that God gives us in our lives the potential to enjoy, and that is a relationship with him. And the more you get to know him, the more it will revolutionize your life because a number of things will happen. Number one, he says, if you will get to know me, you will have personal strength. The people who do know their God will be strong, he says. And so what will happen is there'll be a sense of of real stability that will come in your own life and, and personal strength for yourself that we all long for. But it won't stop there. It won't just be a personal thing. It will overflow and it will flow out and you will do great things for God, he says. They will do exploits, he said. If they, the, the, the deeper they get to know me, the stronger they will become, the more exercised they will be to go out and do great exploits in my name. And he says there will also be tremendous intentionality in their life because they'll want to encourage other people to do that. And as they teach other people, they will, the, the fire will spread. Could I put it that way? And it will catch on to other people. And you know, I've seen this happen actually. This is not a theoretical thing. I remember reading, I'm not sure who it was who gave the quote, but they said, the greatest revivals have started when God has set on fire one heart. One heart. It's caught another heart and another heart. Let's look a little bit deeper in this. If you want to flip it to the next one, brother. These three things that he promises, personal strength. I think it's worth thinking a little bit deeper about what these things are personal strength, do great things for God, and enable to teach others. I think what getting to know God will do is number one, it will give a wonderful affirmation as to what you have committed your life to. And I did not say that sentence correctly. But I think sometimes, I said it that way because I think some, sometimes this is the way we think. It will give you a wonderful sense of affirmation as to what, now there's the mistake, but a lot of us make it. We think we have committed ourselves to a what? Christianity, read of you Bible chapel, the work of God. All those things are wonderful, important, and by the way, we have committed ourselves to them. But first and foremost, we have not committed ourselves to a what, we have committed ourselves to a who to a person, to a person. And when you have committed yourselves to that person, 
And when you get to know him better, you will just sort of fall in love with him more and more and more. And what that will bring into your life is this wonderful sense of personal affirmation that when I gave my life to Christ and when I chose to live the life that he has asked me to live, that it was the right choice and the best way to live my life. And as I come to parts of life where there's more in the rearview mirror than there is in the windshield, I will look back over my life and say, you know what? I did the right thing. Because a lot of times we can come to places in our Christian life where we literally say to ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I run into Christians and they say, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of trying to navigate my way with Christian perspective through society. I'm so tired of trying to work with, with, with people with God's people who can be so discouraging. And you know, I think it's time in my life, I know I'm gonna be with the Lord, it's not like I'm jettisoning my faith, but I'm just gonna to slide to the end of the way here and just kind of let it go from here. Because, you know, you reach that point where you question whether it's worth it. If you're feeling that way this morning, could I just encourage you, get to know Jesus just a little bit better. Get to know God better. And you'll find that wonderful affirmation that I want to take this life across the finish line. Then there is motivation. As we get to know God better, we are motivated to do great things for God. And every now and again, it's a good thing for us to think about, why do I do what I do? And I actually think that this is the thing that is most missing from Christians' lives today. I think virtually all of us know what we need to do as far as what God has called us for. And what God has called uh, you for is maybe going to look a little bit different than me, but whatever it is, God has called us to do it and he's asked us to be motivated. So I don't think there's one person who could sit here today if the Lord Jesus appeared and he spoke to you and said, why aren't you a little more active in your life? You'd say, well, you know what? I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. We know what we should be doing digging into the scriptures a little more, putting a little more effort into Christian service, speaking to that person about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know, but what is missing? Motivation. Let me give you just a brief illustration here to show you how getting to know God can just change our motivation. So there's this young man, let's call him Billy, and he's met a lovely young lady, Sally. And uh, you know what, it's just turned his life upside down and he's shoving his cornflakes into his ears on when he eats his breakfast and he just doesn't know what to do. Anyways, this Saturday, he has uh, a wonderful date planned with the, um, with the lovely Sally. So as he goes to his dad and asks him for the keys to his car, that he could borrow it to go and see her, his dad says, well, yeah, you can have the car keys if you <clears throat> mow the lawn before you go. Mow the lawn. Mow the lawn. I, I don't want to, no, you need to mow the lawn before you get those car keys. Well, out he goes and the garage door slams when it goes up and the mower comes out and it slams when it goes down and it gets kicked a few times. 
and you think to yourself, is he trying to find every rock in the yard and just leave it sit there while the blades whack across the top of it? And he's out there with a, it looks like a mule looking at a new gate, you know, long face on there, and then finally comes back and rams a thing into the corner, and he says, well, I'm done. All right, here's the car keys. Off he goes to shower up, still grumpy. But anyways, <clears throat> he's driving over now to see the, the, the lovely Sally. Pulls up at the door, knocks at the door. She opens it up, as lovely as ever, but she has a long face on. And he says, what's, what, what's wrong? I'm excited, I'm looking forward to our day. And she says, oh, daddy says I can't go out until the grass gets mowed. Off comes Billy's shirt. There's a wonderful big S on the front of it. He says, I'll mow the lawn. Don't you worry one little bit. And out it comes, and there he goes. And the father's looking out the window, and he said, did, did you tell him that we were supposed to fertilize it as well? And he looks to be planting flowers, and he's got a grin on his face this wide. What's the difference? The motivation. The motivation. And can I tell you something? Nothing on this earth is a greater motivator than loving someone. Nothing. People could pay a million dollars to try and get someone to do something, and they will be rejected. But that same person will do it for nothing because they'll do it for love. That's what God wants from us. And then there's enthusiasm. My, we need enthusiastic people, don't we? I like to hang around enthusiastic people. That's why I was so happy when my friend came up who talked to me about the chickens. I find I'm smiling all the time. And, you know, not all of us have that personality, and that's all right. But I do think it's important for us as Christians to remain optimistic and cheerful. You know, sometimes you get this sense among God's people that we're all just kind of hanging on to the side. And if any of our fingernails ever snapped, we would just fall off. And I, and I think it kind of communicates the wrong things to those who don't know Christ. I, I say this in a, you know, this is a terrible thing to say, but I will say it. And, and, you know, the sovereignty of God, but I'm just saying this. There are some people that I have met who call themselves Christians. And I literally think to myself, Sandy, if the first Christian you had met would have been that person, I don't think I would have ever become a believer. Because I would have thought to myself, if that's what Christianity is all about, I want nothing to do with it. What attracted me to Christ was people who love Jesus who were enthusiastic, and they, they just had this relationship with this person they loved so much, and they wanted nothing more than to introduce me to him. Those are the people that are going to have an impact on people's lives. Anyways, my, are we past time there? Anyways, 11.59, so I have 60 more seconds here. Um, here's a wonderful verse if you want to go to the next one, brother. This kind of sums it up. I'm just going to go through these because, anyways, well, you'll see here. This is life eternal. What, you know, when God gives us a definition, particularly when Jesus gives us a definition, 
uh, it's worth paying attention to. So he gives us a definition here in his great high priestly prayer in John 17 of what eternal life is or life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and that they might know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the definition of eternal life, getting to know someone better. I'm excited to go and see the new Jerusalem and all those wonderful things. But no matter how nice things are, they eventually lose their luster. But getting to know someone better is always an attractive thing, isn't it? So let me, I'm just going to leave you with this because I'm obviously setting you off on your own uh, task to maybe just find a little passion or, or, or look into some of the things about how to get to know God better. So the Bible, this is the next slide, brother. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. The Holy Spirit is the active revealer. So this whole book, there's four great themes in the Bible. Four themes that I don't think, no matter what page you look at, you won't find one of those four things. But I would say the one that is above them all, the primary one, is God's person. This book is revealing who God is to us. This is our way to get to know more about God and to get to know him better. And the Spirit of God is the one <clears throat> who helps us get to know him a little bit better. So that's a big task. This is a big book, you know. Um, how are we going to focus in? Next slide there, bro. Um, and you can go to the next one as well, though this one may be a bit of a surprise to people. <clears throat> this is um, a tenant that we have at our home. Um, we're trying to teach him to be sort of a waiter in a snack bar, as you can see there, but we need to get him to smile a little more. Uh, this uh, fellow is called Dudley. Now, that's his name, and that's how you identify him. We, we have another dog whose name is Archie, and um, sometimes you want to differentiate between the two of them. So that's what a name does, doesn't it? But names, uh, this particular name, anyways, actually does something else. I don't know if you can see there in the picture, but uh, he is called a fox red Labrador retriever. It's a bit of a gene mutation that happens. But if you look at his nose, his nose is unique for a dog as well. Um, most dogs' noses are black. His is brown. And if there's a particular genetic outcome that makes um, a Labrador's nose brown, they call it a Dudley. So we didn't have to struggle too hard to uh, find a name for him. Now, the reason I use this horrifically inadequate illustration of where we're going to go here is this. I just wanted to um, kind of emphasize and point out how important names are. Names identify people. And they are really important, aren't they? I think in this day of focus on identity, your name is a really important thing. And um, I wish we had a bit more time maybe to dig into that just on a personal level. But names also can reveal traits as well. And you know, some parents name their children very optimistically, don't they? They call their child Daniel. God is my judge. And I'm sure they think to themselves, well, I hope that's what turns out with my son that that's the type of person that he would be. Now, God has taken names for himself in the scripture. 
And these names identify him, but they also open up profound and amazing insights into who he is. And um, yeah, that's what I was hoping to talk about this morning. So if you want to stay till one, I suppose I could. Uh, I'm just going to read some verses to you. Yeah, yeah, skip over that one for sure. Yeah, great. I point this out because I'm sure you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, well, you know, is that is that genuine, Sandy? You know, and by the way, do that, please. Be people who question what gets said at the front. Make sure it coincides with the scripture. But I found this really amazing, some of these verses. This the setting for this verse is uh, right after the golden calf. Uh, Moses is discouraged. And he wants to know God better. And so he cries out to God and he says, show me your glory. In other words, he wants to get to know God better as a person. And this is how God replies. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So if you want to get to know him better as to who he is, get to know his name. If you want to go to the next one. Now, this second one, the setting here, God has called Moses up to the mountain and told him to bring the stone tablets because now he's not going to reveal who he is. He's going to reveal what he requires his people to do. And right at the start of that process, he says, now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I find that fascinating. Not only can we get to know God better, but it will also open up to us what God requires for us in life as well. If you can do the next one, brother. His name also shows us where we can go. And this is where we're going to sort of dial things down and finish this morning. But I'm sure there are people here who um, maybe could use this this morning. It's a wonderful song. And this is what it says. The name of the Lord... Just back to the other one, please. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower. Strong tower is what a lot of the translations say. But if you look it up, you'll see that God's trying to communicate something a little more. It's a mighty tower. The righteous run into it and are saved, it says. But if you look up that word again, too, it means elevated. And you know, when you run in to the mighty tower of who God is, you will find yourself elevated. And it will give you an entirely different perspective on life. If you go to the next slide, brother, um, a lot of times we kind of sing that song and we don't realize there's another verse attached to it. And I think this describes our society today. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. In their conceit, they imagine it a wall too high to scale. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who don't know his name all they have is whatever their wealth can build up for them. And our society is full of people accumulating so much. And yet the painfulness of life comes into them. And maybe you're someone here this morning who is in that way. Well, there's one more slide um, that I'll just leave with you. God's name also tells us what he has done. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. What a wonderful name. Jehovah is salvation. Um, 
I hope maybe I apologize for a little over. I hope that maybe you'll find a little bit of desire and passion to get to know God better, whatever way that may be, but maybe just looking again at his names. I, um, this is the beginning of a series. The first name I chose is Elohim. And there's 200 slides in this uh, thing so far. And we haven't quite got to the end of Elohim, but uh, after that, we'll roll into Joshua, or sorry, Jehovah. Anyways, let's close in a word of prayer. And thank you again for having me here. It's always just a complete joy to, uh, to come up to Ottawa and to read of you. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Bless uh, your word to our hearts. Um, we pray that we would not just simply be hearers of the word, but doers as well, that we would see ourselves as that person, Father, with two chickens. And um, we need to do what you ask us to do. Father, we just thank you again for all your goodness to us. We thank you for the names that you've taken for yourself and how much they reveal of you. And we thank you that your great desire is to have a relationship with us. Bless us, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.